Chapter 13. The Price Sam fell asleep holding Don's hand. Just as his mind slipped into unconsciousness, he had a small thrill of wonder. He had been released from his mission while still in Africa. Now, for the first time in two years, it was okay for him to sleep during the day. A part of him wondered in the same in that same instant why he was more fascinated with a nap than with holding a beautiful woman's hand. This question remained unanswered as he drifted off to sleep. It took over 24 hours and two refueling stops to reach Heathland International Airport in England. As the plane descended toward the runway, Dawn finally increased more nervous, became increasingly more nervous. Finally, she leaned over to him and spoke softly in his ear. Sam, as you know, my father and I have transported many diamonds out of South Africa and into England. It is perfectly legal, but is still a tricky and sometimes dangerous business. I need you to trust me and do as I ask. Sam nodded for her to go on, a look of concern on his face. I need to tell you what I suspect will happen after we land. I'm positive someone from customs will try to steal the diamond here at Heathrow. I don't expect to be mugged or robbed, but they will try to trick us into handing them the diamond. The way they usually do it is by telling you that you are, must declare all gems and jewelry in your possession. If you're dumb enough to just hand them the gems, they impound them for customs, and you never see them again. Sam stared at her with wide eyes. We don't have to declare the gems, he asked. No, Don assured him, we don't. Oh, I forgot to do a British accent for her. <laughs> The truth is, this airport terminal is international soil, and as long as we don't leave the terminal, we don't legally, we aren't legally in England. You don't have to declare things unless we take it out of the, this terminal. So don't let them trick you. Otherwise, when we step foot off this plane, we won't even have the stone in our possession because I'm going to leave it on the airplane. But how? Sam stammered. Don ignored him, continuing with urgency. The plane was in a deep descent. It doesn't matter how. What matters is that the people we are dealing with are powerful and ruthless. They will use every means, both legal and illegal, to take the stone from us. They think we have the stone that is worth upwards of a million dollars, and they will be very nasty about getting it. They will probably search us, threaten us with jail, and everything else they can think of. They can do little more than attempt to intimidate us into handling them the stone, handing them the stone. Our best defense is that we don't even know what they are talking about. Sam shook his head as if trying to clear it. That isn't entirely the truth. I can buy everything else, but I actually do know what they are talking about. I know, I know, but it's a very small white lie, she said, holding up a thumb and finger, almost touching. It is only to keep us out of the grasp of some horrible people. If we play dumb and they can't find the stone, they won't have any reason to keep us from boarding our plane out of here. Dawn paused and lowered her hand. But there will undoubtedly for several hours of unpleasantness before they will let us back on that plane. Sam nodded. I'll just have to repent later, I guess, he said with mock gravity. Dawn smiled. This is serious, she said. Don't underestimate them. Sam's smile faded to a reflection of the dismay he felt before felt boiling within his soul. I hate this, he said with quiet fervor. Don nodded sadly. The only thing that matters is that we get back on this plane. Do you understand? No matter what, get back on the plane, okay? I understand, says Sam said above the roar of the plane. I'm sure Daddy has been working out to get our people in place to avoid problems. However, they really haven't had much time. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll do my best, but nevertheless, Daddy has succeeded. No, 
but unless Daddy has succeeded, we have very little hope of keeping the diamond. Sam thought about this for a few seconds. They had just touched down on the runway, and the big engines straining to bring the jet to a stop. The entire cabin was shaking as if it would come apart. Somehow it felt appropriate in the circumstances they found themselves in. Don, listen. That diamond isn't important to me. It was a gift, and I don't really care if it's lost. But I do care is that if you don't get yourself into trouble or get arrested, I would feel terrible if you got into trouble trying to keep my diamond safe, and I just don't care that much. I understand, she said, placing a hand on his arm. She smiled warmly. Just promise me one thing. Go with the flow. Act perfectly innocent and naive. Play the dumb American, and no matter what happens, just get back onto the plane. This is important. No matter what you see, get back onto the plane. Promise me you'll do that. Why? I mean, if you're in trouble, I couldn't just walk away. Listen to me. We are almost at the terminal. No matter what you see, just get back on the plane. This is more important than I can explain right now. Promise me, she said in a voice burdened with anxiety. All right. You promise me that you know what you're doing, and I'll promise to do as you say on faith alone. You have to know I don't like it, though. I know what I'm doing, so... All right, I promise. At his words, she relaxed visibly. It didn't take long for it to happen. They deplaned through the rear door and walked through the short hall. Don stopped in the ladies' room for a few minutes. An arrow directed them to the left, and they came to a large room. Through the middle of the room was a roll of glass booths. An armed guard sat in each booth with another armed guard at the far side of the booth. Low metal railings formed paths up to the booths. This is where we split up, she whispered cryptically, and veered to the left. Sam had no time to do anything, but walked toward the booth to his right. The line was long, and it took a while to reach to the booth. <clears throat> he listened carefully to the conversation of the passenger before him. The guard in the booth was a woman. She looked the passenger in the face as she took his passport and thumbed to the picture on the first page. She turned to her left and tapped into the computer terminal. At that moment, she nodded. You are required to declare anything you intend to import or sell in England. Items of value in excess of 1,000 pounds, regardless of whether or not you intend to sell them, and items which you have brought in a country other than your country of origin. Do you have anything else to declare? No, the man interrupted. It is illegal to import drugs, any life plants or animals, or weapons of any type. Do you wish to declare any of these? I have a prescription drug for my illness is all, he said. Prescription drugs are exempt, she said. Do you intend to stay in England, or are you just passing through? I will be staying about two weeks. The purpose of your visit? I'm visiting family outside London. Again, she tapped into her terminal and then stamped the page in his passport. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day in England. She gave him a cold smile and shoved the passport through the small window. Sam slid his passport through the slot. She studied his face for a moment, and then she took the passport. She thumbed through to the picture and looked up at him again for a split second. She typed rapidly on the keyboard and waited for a moment. A frown crossed her face, and she typed again. After a moment, she picked up a phone and dialed. He could not hear the conversation, but she glanced at him several times. Finally, she monitored for Sam to go through the gate. Mr. Mahoy, would you come with us, please? The gate buzzed as he pushed it open. She motioned for him to follow her. The other guard fell into step behind him. His heart began to pound. He wondered what they wanted and strongly suspected it was the diamond. Sam was perplexed and frightened as he followed her a short distance to the door, which she opened with a key. The room was about ten feet square, dingy, and poorly lit by a small fixture high overhead. Its only furnishings were two grimly metal chairs, grimy metal chairs and a small table. Sam stopped apprehensively just outside the room as if 
his feet had suddenly become heavy. The female guard impatiently motioned him aside and directed him to take a seat. She left him and locked the door. He waited for over an hour, spending the entire time worrying about Don. He was startled from his worries when a key suddenly rattled the door. It opened, and a man in coveralls carried Sam's only suitcase into the room and laid it on the table. He left without a word. After a few minutes, a young woman in uniform entered. She was short and slight of build. Her hair was short and dark brown. While not attractive, she was what some might consider cute. Sam felt his nervousness relax a little. She smiled engagingly and walked forward to shake his hand. Sorry to keep you waiting, Mr. Mahoy. I'm Rita, she informed him. Her accent was heavily British, though somewhat musical. Sam wanted to pepper her with questions, but restrained himself by merely nodding in reply. I've been asked to conduct a routine customs inspection. We do this randomly to ensure compliance with our customs laws. There is no particular reason you were selected, so please relax. Sam nodded, but could not bring himself to relax. After asking him the same questions the lady in the glass booth had, she asked, Do I have your permission to search your baggage? You have the right to refuse, in which case I will be required to seek a court order, which may cause delay to your travel plans. I don't care, Sam said. Thank you. Do I need a... Thank you. Do I need a key? No, it's not locked. She turned the latch and case toward her and opened the latch. She took out each article of clothing and felt along each seam. She carefully refolded each item and laid it on the table, and it went slowly, and finally Sam sat back down. She continued until she came to a gift-wrapped box. She carefully opened the paper with a penknife, then the box. It was a small beaded purse for Beth. She opened the purse and felt inside, and then closed it up, opened the drawer in the table, and took out a roll of sticky tape. When she had finished, it was difficult to tell if it had been opened. She did the same for each gift. After a long while, every item was lying on the table. She carefully ran her hands around the inside of the case until she satisfied herself. It was not concealing anything. Finally, she began putting Sam's belongings back in the suitcase. When she was finished, his case was packed more neatly than when he had done it. Thank you, Mr. Mahoy, she said and smiled. She opened the door with a key and quickly left. This time, he waited for almost another hour before a key again slipped in the door. This time, a man accompanied by Rita, the girl who had searched his bag, he also seemed friendly, but somewhat agitated, or perhaps impatient. Mr. Mahoy, I understand you are returning from a mission in South Africa for the Mormon Church. That's right, Sam said. Were you given anything of value in South Africa before you, that you, which you brought aboard the plane? Sam's mind snapped into high gear, searching for an honest answer that did not include the mention of a diamond. Well, I received several gifts in the airport. Someone gave me a flute. He paused as his mind spun. Oh, gosh, I think I left my flute on the plane, he said, his voice filled with despair. Don't worry, sir. We can get it for you. Your plane is not set to leave for a few hours. Please be patient. Oh, she said. <laughs> my accents might be a little off in this section. They each gave each other a congratulatory glance and left. They returned a later, while later with his flute case. She set it down on the table and opened it. Again, she carefully inspected each piece and set it on the table. She took her knife, cut the lining around the edges, and lifted the interior. This she carefully inspected until she was satisfied. She shook her head at the man, whose face fell. They both left without a word. Leaving the flute case dismantled on the table, Sam stood and put it back together the best he could. The case was ruined, but it would hold the flute until he got home. He placed it inside his suitcase. His stomach was rumbling by the time they returned. This time, there were two men. He was sorry the girl was not there, and considered they had upped the stakes. 
Sorry to keep you waiting, the first man said profoundly. He was not in the least sorry. We have reason to believe you are concealing a certain illegal item on your person. We need permission to search your body. You will have the right to refuse, in which case you can seek, we will seek a court order, which may cause substantial delays to your travel plans. If you consent, you will be out of here in a few minutes. Sam thought about it for a moment. They were determined enough that he knew that he would eventually have to submit. He frowned and nodded. Please remove your outer clothing, sir. He took off his suit, jacket, and tie. They searched these thoroughly and placed them on the table. They continued to ask for certain items of clothing until he was standing before them in his underwear. When they asked for them, he hesitated. They merely asked again. He reluctantly surrendered. Just one more thing, Mr. Mulvoy. Then Sam was finally escorted from the room. He truly felt violated, yet oddly vindicated. His greatest concern was for Dawn. Maybe they had not connected her to him. He hoped not. If they were willing to do this to him, there was every likelihood they would do the same to her or worse. But he was finally free to leave. It was late in the day, and he only had an hour before his plane left. He brought something to eat and walked. He bought something to eat and walked to the boarding area, hoping to find Don. She was not there. His heart sank as he took the seat next to Elder Palmer, who seemed in a trance of expectation. As they waited, four other missionaries they had not seen before joined them as they chatted about their missions. Two were returning from England, one from France and the other from Denmark. They were traveling together at least as far as the States. By the time the final call came to board his plane to New York, Don was still missing. Sam paced back and forth, waiting, hoping, debating what to do. Everything in him told him to get on the plane. He prayed earnestly, and peace settled over him. He knew he should march on to the plane. However, the peace departed abruptly as he watched the big plane roar in the sky. He knew it was an error to remain behind, yet he could not bring himself to abandon Don. He just could not. He hoped Heavenly Father would forgive him and still protect him. He hoped with all of his heart that his disobedience would not in some way make things worse for Don. He wasn't worried about the church objecting. Elder or President Carlson had released him from his mission in South Africa. His plane ticket would still be good, so he wasn't stranded. He had some money for food, but not enough for a hotel. He would have to act quickly to find Don. His resources were limited. Sam found a payphone and placed a collect call to his parents. It was a difficult call to make. When he finally hung up, they were still objecting and insisting he get on the next flight out. He lied to them and told them that he would, even though he had no intention of doing so. In that day alone, he told more lies than in the previous two years. He was ashamed and a feeling of defiance settled over him. They just didn't understand. Besides, he could take care of himself. All he had to do was find Don. He immediately made his way onto the airport security office. The door opened to a small room containing a single desk. He approached the bored-looking woman behind the desk. She slowly looked up from her pile of papers and regarded him expressionlessly. I need your help, he began. I arrived here with a traveling companion. I think she was detained by customs. I haven't heard anything about her, and I want to know what's going on. He thought he had used the right mixture of pleading and demanding. He didn't want to seem helpless or overbearing. The woman asked him several questions. She asked to see his passport, and after thumbing through it, handed it back. She turned to her computer terminal beside her and typed. Sam tried to count the keystrokes to tell if it was Don's name or his. He couldn't tell. He could see by her eye movements that she was carefully reading the screen. She occasionally stole a glance at him, which served to further increase, of his, further increase his apprehension. After what seemed like a long time, she turned back to him. I will arrange for you to speak to my supervisor. 
Sam thought he detected a hint of accusation in her voice. He wondered if she knew something damning, which he did not. He wanted to scream at her to tell him, but he corralled his raging fears with difficulty. She flipped off her terminal and left through the back door. He studied the yellowed ceiling tiles and dented furniture. It seemed as if he were in the back in the interrogation room and felt his innards not up. After a short while, she returned and led him down a hall to a larger room and left him alone. She, he was relieved she hadn't locked him inside. After a few minutes, Rita walked in. He was relieved to see her. She stood as she, he stood as she entered. Mr. Mahoy, she said with a note of surprise in her voice, I thought you were on your way to America. I'm surprised to still see you here. What can I do for you? Her tone seemed genuine, and she decided to speak. he decided to speak candidly. I wish I was on my way to America. However, I arrived here with a young woman I was escorting to America. I promised her father I would s see her safely to the States. She missed her flight, and I could not leave without her. Can you help me find her? What was her name? She asked as she produced a pad from her hip pocket. Don Polly he said, and was dismayed to note that she didn't write it down. Instead, she shoved the pad back into her pocket. How well do you know Miss Polly? She asked guardedly. I met her in South Africa, and she was involved with her as a missionary. She joined my church and wanted to come to America. I was to accompany her here, her there. After that, she had her own plans. Oh, I see. So you won't love us? No, he answered. The question shocked him. I was a missionary, he replied indignantly. We don't have lovers. Yes, of course, she replied. You were business partners? No, were you business partners? Once again, I was a missionary. I had no business dealings at all. I was her escort and friend in the church. I'm concerned about her. Did you know she had, was wanted on outstanding warrant for smuggling? Smuggling? You mean from some prior trip to England? Yes, you had no knowledge of this? No, certainly not. Why would I? I taught her the gospel and she had nothing... Uh... And she said nothing of having gone to England, and certainly nothing of smuggling. This was the truth. Don's father had explained their business dealings and made it sound all legal. Sam knew he was walking a fine line, but it was the truth. Besides that, he seriously doubted that the accusation was even legitimate. It is illegal to bring anything over a certain value into the country without intent, with the intent of selling it. This is especially true of gems or jewelry. Were you aware of her bringing anything of this type onto, uh, into this country to sell? Sam bridled. Our travel plans didn't include... even include leaving the airport. Check our reservations if you doubt it. She nodded as if this had already occurred to her. She smiled and indicated for him to sit. He took a folding chair. She pulled a worn wooden chair to where her knees were nearly touching. Their knees were nearly touching. She leaned forward and studied his face. I took the Mormon missionary lessons last year. I didn't believe what they were telling me and didn't join. I'm sorry, Sam replied honestly. It felt like a great loss, and he wanted to probe her, probe into her rejection of the gospel, but did not. You're sorry? Why? She seemed genuinely bothered by his answer. Sam sat for a moment, waiting for the familiar urgings of the spirit to guide. He was surprised when nothing happened. The thought had entered his mind that he had removed himself from the spirit, not the other way around. He was grieved at his disobedience, yet he knew what he wanted to say. You seem like a nice person. I can see goodness in your eyes. I can't believe you seriously investigated the church without coming to the knowledge of the truth. I'm sad I was... I said I was sorry, because you would have been very happy with the gospel in your life. I'm not unhappy now, she said defensively. I'm glad, was all he answered. Without the spirit, he hardly knew how to have a conversation on spiritual things. 
Sam wanted to bear testimony, to teach her, to touch her heart with truth, but he could not. Rita shook her head as if wary of the conversation and abruptly changed the subject. Well, I guess that has little to do with your friend Dawn. I'm afraid she's in deep trouble and there's a little you can do about it. Actually, it has everything to do with it, Sam replied abruptly. The spirit had moved him so suddenly that he had nearly blurted out his answer before she had finished speaking. He was so relieved to have the guidance again that he felt giddy with relief. What has my taking missionary lessons to do with Dawn's legal problems? It has to do with the truth, Sam replied evenly. Truth? Truth and the courage to obey it. Rita cleared her throat as if annoyed. I don't appreciate You know the church is true, he interrupted. What? She demanded hotly. When the missionaries taught you, you gained a testimony. What gives you the right to assume you know what I felt back then? Truth, he replied again. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to... You can't escape the truth by walking away. The truth is, you still know what the missionaries told you is true. You chose not to baptize because you didn't want to live by yourself. His answer puzzled him. Yet he knew it was true by the urgings of the spirit, and by the stunned expression on her face, there was a long moment of silence. Even if what you say is true, it has no bearing on Dawn, she replied defiantly, but in a small voice. Actually, it has everything to do with it. Let me explain. Please do, she said loudly. She was both repelled by the conversation and inwardly stunned, as if her soul demanded to hear the words, and another part of her wanted to throw him in jail. The mixture of emotions was puzzling and frightening. You chose not to join the church, not because it isn't true, but for other consideration. Perhaps, she allowed. Those other considerations were important, but they were now evaporated, and you feel betrayed. My point is that you sacrifice truth and the lasting happiness it brings for what turned out to be a lie, and now you are miserable. I wouldn't call myself miserable, I'm just... Now you are faced with the same dilemma. The truth is that neither Don nor I have broken any laws in, of this country. You have searched our baggage and our persons and have found nothing. The charges you are holding Don are fictitious. You know this, yet there are other considerations. Assuming you are correct, Rita replied in a small but defensive voice, what other considerations might you be talking about? You don't want to lose your job, he said. She fell back in her seat as if hit across the face. He wasn't finished, or better stated, the spirit wasn't finished. Truth, once again... Well, let's see, is that him? <laughs> Truth once again, and of course the lasting happiness is doing what is right in being confronted by your need for temporary gratification. You are making wild assumptions. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you are making wild assumptions which, which we both know are true. If you wish, I will tell you how to bring happiness back into your life. There was a long pause. Her voice was small, almost plaintive. How? She asked finally. First, release Don. I can't. It's not within my power. You don't know what would happen. Not only would I lose my job, but I'd probably be charged with the crime myself. No, it, it isn't possible. Second, he said. She looked at him with amazement. Don't you ever give up look on her face? Sam continued. Second, go back and restudy the gospel. This time, when you feel the power of its truths, submit yourself to baptism. These two things will start you once again on the road to happiness. Even if I believed what you said was oh, even if I believed what you said was true, I you do believe, he interrupted softly. Rita frowned. Even if all that were true, this is all true. I have no power to release Dawn. She has been charged with a serious felony. I'm sorry. Sam was deflated. Once again the spirit departed, and he was left to himself. He felt orphaned and sick at heart. His soul had been alive and energized while the spirit was upon him. Now he felt helpless and sick to his stomach with fear. 
He was about to abandon himself to it when he remembered the calmness and courage he had briefly felt a few moments ago. He knew those sweet feelings to be real. These feelings of despair had to be a lie, even if they were very believable at the moment. He struggled to pump up his courage. A look of compassion came on Rita's face, and she patted him on the knee. Her next question surprised him. Do you love her? Yes, he replied without hesitation. It was true, but probably not the con context she meant. His love for her was real, large and beautiful, but it was not romantic. He felt no urge to explain his answer. If you will tell me where the diamond is, I can get her released, she said candidly. That's all they want. Tell me, and I can have, a f have you out of here in just a few minutes. He was about to blurt out everything he knew about the stone, about handling it to Dawn, about her contact in England, everything. He opened his mouth to spill it all out, but suddenly constrained by the familiar feeling of the spirit. When he spoke, something entirely unexpected came out. Is it against the law to transport jewelry through this country? No, of course not, she replied. If Dawn had any jewelry on her, it was her intent to take it to America. The truth if it matters to you at all, is that she has broken no law, and you know it. Sam lowered his head in, as tears came to his eyes. Apparently, truth is no longer the issue. Rita thought about this for a moment. Actually, it still can be, she countered thoughtfully. The truth is, someone wants that stone and is willing to do anything to get it. If you know where it is, you had best tell me. Otherwise, Dawn is going to languish a lot of years in prison. If I knew, if I had a clue, even if... Let's see... If I knew anything that would release her, I would tell you. That is also the truth. I believe you, Rita applied almost reverently. She stood and left the room. She returned later with a sandwich and a soft drink. <laughs> Apparently her actions are British too. She smiled sadly as she handed them to him and departed without a word. He wondered why it would make her sad to give him a sandwich. Just the same, his stomach grumbled its appreciation as he hastily ate. He felt as if he had... An ally, at least, even though a useless one. After eating, he rapidly grew sleepy. The world seemed to be slowly spinning counterclockwise. Sleep swept him away just as he realized something was very wrong. Sam had no idea where they took him. He tried to force himself to remain awake, but fell asleep again watching telephone poles whiz by in the darkness. Several times he awoke to loud voices. His body felt laden and exhausted leaden and exhausted until sleep took him away again he had a vague memory of stumbling to another vehicle perhaps more than once he slept soundly for what seemed a long time and was awakened as the car rolled to a stop on the gravel road someone opened the door from the outside he stumbled out into the night his mind felt fuzzy and refused to analyze his surroundings all he could do was all he could think about was going back to sleep without a word the driver closed the door climbed back into his car and drove into the night the night was cool, and even though it was not cold enough to harm him, Sam felt a chill sweep into his bones. The darkness was complete and impenetrable, and except for two red taillights rapidly diminishing in the distance, he could see neither in neither direction. In a day, oh, I am tongue-tied. Sorry. In a daze, Sam watched two steps, felt the ground disappear from under his feet, and rolled down a grassy embankment. Grassy embankment. <laughs> he came to a harmless stop on a flat ground and landed face down in long grass. He pushed himself to his feet and found the bank. It seemed pointless to climb back onto the road, so he lay down in frustration. In moments, a troubled sleep almost forcibly took him. 
Sam awoke to sunshine on his face and gnawing hunger pains. He realized as he awoke that he had not eaten since the night before. He was lying on a sloping bank of grass not far from the bank. A dense stand of trees began. He stood and surveyed his surroundings before climbing the short hill to the road. Massive trees surrounded him in every direction, and majestic mist shrouded mountain peaks towered above him. Sam turned in a complete circle. This doesn't look like Kansas, he said aloud and chuckled darkly. It doesn't even look like England. Deciding to take inventory of his assets, he fumbled in his pocket and was shocked to find his wallet and passport missing. He found a single piece of paper money. It was not American currency, and as near as he could tell, not English either. He shoved it back into his pocket. He assumed that the driver had taken his things while he had been asleep in the car. The road was narrow, scarcely more than twin dirt trails and dense grass growing thickly upon the wide lane cut through the forest. It was winding and hugged the mountainside above precipitous canyons below. It was obviously seldom traveled. It reminded him of a mountain maintenance road more than a highway. Resigning himself to the idea of a long walk, Sam picked up a stout stick about four feet long that reminded him of a baseball bat. A childhood memory stirred. He selected a small rock and hit it solidly with a stick. It whined loudly as it flew into the woods, striking something with a loud thunk. Sam almost smiled. It was so satisfying to bop something soundly that he did it several times more. Finally, he headed in the direction he surmised the car had departed into the night. He walked for most of the day, seeing nothing but dirt road and endless trees. He did not see a single car all day. Whenever he grew weary or bored, he clobbered a few more rocks. It gave him a childish sense of being in control, at least, of the rock. Night was beginning to settle when Sam came to a small stream. He climbed down the short, grassy slope. The water looked clean and tasted sweet. He drank until he was full. He slept cold and miserable by the stream. The second day of walking was even harder. His body rebelled against the hunger, and he felt nauseous. He continued to walk until thirst, hunger, thirst, and fatigue overpowered him. He stopped by another stream, drank until he no longer felt hungry, and surrendered to the bone-chilling sleep. Day three found Sam too weak to do much more than stumble along the dirt road. Finally, he could move no more and sat on the grassy side of the road. It suddenly occurred to him that he was in desperate circumstances. Whoever had dumped him into the woods and had picked a road few people traveled. He wondered if the road was even open to the public. In three days, he had seen no cars. For the first time in his life, he felt completely hopeless. Not only was there an incredible in incredible emptiness in his gut, but there was an absence in his soul which felt worse than any starvation. The emptiness was so profound that he had trouble identifying its cause. Finally, the truth be finally caught up with his sluggish brain. Sam was shocked to realize that this emptiness was the absence of the Holy Spirit from his soul. A word, a thought, a concept crystallized in his mind. Chastisement. At first, the word meant nothing, yet the concept was crystal clear. Sam had offended the Lord through his disobedience. He had walked away from what he knew was right and relied upon his arm of flesh. A, blacken a blackness settled over his heart that seemed to grip it with an iron fist. It was so compelling that he felt as if he had to struggle to draw each breath. As this thought gelled in his mind, Sam felt coldness creeping up his spine. A touch of something unholy brushed through him, and he shuddered. Darkness settled upon his soul, and he contemplated his disobedience, his undeniable failure, and his worthlessness. Sam considered all these things with a harsh self-loathing, and he laughed at the sudden plunge he had made into a telestial reward. Telestial, yeah. 
But his laughter was bitter, and the sound of his voice called forth tears. Once the first drop was spilled, it was like a river overrunning its banks, and he wept at first silently, then violently, until every tear within him was unleashed and his sobs rent his soul. Suddenly, an electric sensation clapped his consciousness, and Sam's head snapped up. A familiar warmth surged through him and just as quickly left. But it was enough, and his soul fed on the warmth and sucked at the light that was drowning like a drowning man sucks at air through clenched teeth. Scarcely able to believe water no longer surrounds his face. In one blinding instant, he saw this long, dark uh, reverie for what it was, and President Carlson's words echoed in his mind as loudly as if he were there. Beware, my boy, for God's sake, for your sake, beware all your life. When tears came this time, they were tears of humility, repentance, and sweet surrender. He fell on his knees at the cold, damp darkness and poured out his soul to God. As desperate as his circumstances were, as empty and as weak as his body was, these things were no part of his plea. His words were... Uh, his were words of repentance, of humble acknowledgement of sin, and of sincere commitment to obedience. The wave of darkness assailed him many times and lashed him with its cold fury. Yet so sweet was the peace of his surrender to the love he felt overflowing him that the darkness soon spent its last lie and departed. All the night the, through, Sam sought forgiveness. At times his prayer was a terrible struggle, held back by his own fear of unworthiness. At times it... No. At others it was as sweet as pure love as the warm of as an angel's embrace. When his mind finally returned from this grand communion, it was early morning and the sun was just finding its way toward the tops of the trees. Sam woke up on his side, his knees drawn up as if he were kneeling, his hands clasped before him. He was surprised to find he was shivering, for he felt nothing but deep internal warmth and a glorious feeling of forgiveness. He closed his eyes again and for a long while poured out the gratitude and worship more powerful than speech. More lyric than poetry, and more beautiful than choirs of angels, it seemed to him as if the voice for a time ascended unto God and joined the myriad beings who sing praises both day and night. Suddenly, without warning, and much to his regret, it was over, and he stood with sudden purpose. He was almost too weak to walk, yet he felt no fear, no hesitation, no doubt. He turned toward the forest. After a short struggle through the dense undergrowth, the tree seemed to spread out and open into a pleasant sunlit clearing. The same stream by which he had slept wandered through the glade. Had he not been so far from home, it would have been a glorious discovery, an almost magical find as if from a storybook of castles and kings and queens. For the first time in many days, it seemed obvious to Sam what he must do. Each thought came to him separately without explanation. Without understanding why, he removed his suit, coat, and tie, and hung it carefully over a branch. Next, he unlaced his shoe lace from his shoe and tied it to a willow, so that it bent into a small bow. Selecting several dried branches, he looped the bow over one and carefully began drying it back and forth. The dried stick twirled back and forth. One end of the stick he spun against the dry piece of bark and the other on the rock in his hand. In a surprising short time, a spiral of smoke arose from the branch. He laid a small bundle of grass next to it, and in a moment a tiny yellow flame appeared. He nursed it carefully until he had a small fire burning warmly. He laid on the on a little more wood, and in not many minutes was warming himself by a fire. Sam shivered violently and realized how close he had been to succumbing to the effects of hypothermia. He fed the fire and waited for the warmth to penetrate to his limbs. With the return of warmth came return of energy. Sam was, of course, still hungry, but not devastated by it. 
He actually considered intentionally continuing his fast as one of gratitude for his deliverance, but felt an urgent urging to the contrary. He simply obeyed. Memories of things he had done as a Boy Scout popped into his mind. He returned to the small stream. He lay in the shadow of a tree and inched on his belly toward the stream. He had tried this many times as a scout and had always been unsuccessful. It did not surprise him to see a small fish against the bank swimming slowly in the current. Moving as slow as possible for a human to move, Sam inched his hand into the water, moved it under the fish, and slowly closed his fingers. The fish fought for freedom, but his hand closed tightly around it. In minutes, the fish was on a stick and slowly turning over his fire. The smell was divine and wafted gently through the trees. Sam intentionally cooked it slowly, lengthening the cook name for a few minutes to half an hour. His body screamed for the food. His logic urged him to eat the fish, stick, guts, and all. Yet within him, a quiet, simple urging kept him from consuming the food now available to him. Following an urging from the spirit, he slowly turned the fish near the fire for near an hour, just keeping it warm. Sam heard a branch snap in the distance. He smiled to himself, an almost giddy sense of happiness sweeping through him. The happiness he felt had nothing to do with the dis uh, distant sound of brush or twigs being disturbed, but the quiet joy of obedience. Whatever was making the sound grew nearer until it stopped a short distance from his clearing, waiting warily in the bushes. I believe this is done cooking, he said loudly. Come have some breakfast. A ragged figure pushed through the bushes with a strangled sob. He stood as Dawn limped toward him at a run. He caught her in his arms and held her until she released him. Tears had made muddy tracks down both cheeks. Her hair was tangled with dirt and debris. Her dress was smudged and torn. Her eyes were lackluster and sunken. He stepped back a little and raised the fish between them. It was deliciously cooked and still warm. He pulled a piece of white meat from it with his finger and held it to her lips. She took a small bite. Her eyes rolled back into her head in an ecstasy of taste. He continued to feed her and himself until the small fish was gone. They sat near the fire where Dawn curled up against him and fell asleep. He continued to feed the fire as he held her. Sam pondered the significance of the fact that she had said nothing from the moment she had found him until she had fallen asleep. He knew it meant something, something both important and unique, yet his mind refused to understand it. It was late in the afternoon when she awoke at... He had also slipped, and they both struggled to make their bodies move again. Even though Sam's only meal had been tiny, it seemed to have been rejuvenated him, and felt strong once again. Dawn seemed less recovered and swayed back and forth while standing. A moment of awkward silence passed, and they both tried to speak at once. Dawn held up a hand, and Sam fell silent. I'm so sorry, Sam, she began, but tears cut her short. Sam was stunned. It was he who had failed to obey. He reached out to her, but she pulled away. He simply could not understand her words or her rebuff. Don, what's wrong? You haven't done anything to me. Why are you crying? She looked up at him with such pathos that he wanted to hold her, stroke her hair, and tell her everything would be wonderful again. He could not. Oh, Sam, you have no idea what I've done to you. I thought I could beat them. I thought I knew what they would do and how to get the stone past them. They threatened me with all kinds of horrible things. Well, I thought I knew what to do. I held out, played innocent, and acted stupid. I did all that until they laid your passport on the table. It was then that I knew they had detained you. They said you were in custody and uh, to be tried for smuggling and would not be allowed to return home. I panicked and took them to the stone. I gave it to them. Sam laughed. Don, I don't care. It was never worth all that you went for. Uh, went through for it. I'm glad you gave it to them. I just don't care. 
You don't understand. I took them to the restroom on the airplane. What we do is flush the stone down the toilet in a special bag. One of our people retrieves it, and that's all there is to it. Well, they went through the sewage, and it was there. They took it out, and it was fake. A fake? Sam exclaimed. Well, it was a real diamond, the right size, but it was almost valueless, deeply flawed and discolored. All that effort was to protect a stone of very small value. They were furious and swore you were still to be prosecuted. They drugged me and brought me here three days ago. I have no idea why they dumped me in the forest. I thought they were going to kill me. Dawn paused as the memory of the terror marched through her like an invading army. I have been wandering through these woods, praying you would be alright for... A while, I just wanted to give up and die. I felt so ashamed for causing you all this pain. I'm still so ashamed. I... Don, they lied to you. What? They lied. I wasn't detained. I intentionally missed the plane. I didn't keep my promise to get on the plane and was went back to search for you. I asked about you and insisted on them releasing you. They were using this against each other. I was never in any real danger. I didn't fully realize they drugged me until you said it just now, but they dumped me out here three days ago, too. Apparently, after they found out that the stone was relatively worthless, they just wanted us to get lost. But why not just give us back our passports and order us to leave? Sam shrugged. There's a possibility that they, that we might complain to the authorities, I guess, but out here, without identification, we can do nothing. By the time we either found our way out or perished, there would be no evidence of their actions against us, or even of our having entered this country, I suspect. They probably assumed that if we ever did find our way home, we will not have the inclination or proof to accuse them of any wrongdoing. If we do, they will probably accuse us of being in the country without visas or something. Our best option is to quietly leave the country. I'm sure they're counting on just a course of action from us. I'm scared, Sam. I'm really scared. I'm afraid they will change their minds and come after us. Or... Or they'll be setting up us up so that we finally get out of town and we'll be accused of some gross crime or be arrested. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Sam interrupted her, hoping to lighten the mood that you've been watching too many cheap American movies. I hope so, she said fervently. She smiled and turned back, uh, turned to walk slowly towards the stream, dusting dirt and leaves from her dress. It was another beautiful sunny day. You know what I find amazing, Sam? She asked as she began picking up twigs. No. No, oh. <laughs> you know what I find amazing, Sam asked, as he began picking up twigs. No, she responded meekly, as if her mind was on many other things. That you found me. We've been wandering in the woods for three days and could have gone a dozen different directions, but you found me. How did you manage that? Very simply, she replied, her lips softening into half a smile. I could hear you. Hear me? That seems impossible, Sam insisted. Even though we have both been in the woods for three days, we have never been very far apart. On the very first day, I heard a, a loud pop, and a sound something like a bullet whizzing through the, through the trees. That was me, bopping rocks! Sam laughed suddenly, happily, that he had revived his childhood preoccupation with rock bopping. Bopping? That's what I used to call it, on the farm, he explained sheepishly. Don smiled broadly. A piece of your childhood that became my salvation, she assured him. Several times a day, I heard that same bopping sound. At first, I thought it was someone firing a gun. It scared me to death, but I thought it could be someone besides my kidnappers, and I decided to follow them at a distance. If it was a hunter, I didn't want to be shot by mistake. I only wanted to follow them to the road or the town. She hesitated, and Sam waited for her to continue. I didn't have any other human means 
of finding another human. Oh, no. I didn't have any other means of finding another, another human, she said at length, her voice sounding lost again. It seemed like my only hope. It wasn't until I smelled food cooking that I overcame my fear and tried to sneak close enough to see who it was. I was immensely relieved it was you, and so I just felt ashamed, so I almost ran away. Feeling a need to leave the subject, Sam said, After I build the fire back up, I want to tell you about my struggle with the devil and of my repentance. I think there is a purpose in all of this for both of us, and not just some random opposition. He began blowing on the smoldering coals. They quickly came back to life. Do you think... Do you think we'll find our way home? A warm confidence surged through him. He straightened from where he was kneeling by the fire and said, Yes, I do. Don felt the same assurance and replied, I believe you. It won't be easy, he added with some emphasis. Don's voice was resigned when she replied a moment later, I believe that too.